All right, so as I said, the marks of freedom <coughs> is the name of our uh, study for today. And uh, uh, I just want to uh, begin by talking about cancer. Uh, I hate cancer, and, and any of you who has experienced this or know someone who has, uh, you hate it too. Uh, a cancer happens when abnormal cells divide, right? And they, they destroy healthy body tissue. And, and untreated, what happens with cancer is that it spreads to other parts of the body until eventually it kills its host. But thankfully, there are several treatment options available, and more and more uh, as uh, these uh, d doctors come up with increasing ways to treat cancer. Uh, but the treatment options depend, of course, on the kind of cancer you have and on how early uh, you caught it. Uh, so the treatment options are getting better and better. But the reason cancer is, is so deadly is because our bodies don't, don't recognize it necessarily. Uh, our antibodies don't fight against cancer because uh, it imposes its, or it's, it's an imposter. It, it, it seems like the other cells in the rest of your body. And so uh, cancer fools the body and it fools our antibodies so that they don't rise up and fight against it. Well, uh, there's a company in Israel uh, who's developed this new treatment. Uh, the company's called Neotex. It's a promising new treatment, and, and the way it works is they inject certain kinds of bacteria into the cancer tumor. Uh, and so they, they hope to trigger an antibody response with bacteria as opposed to treating it uh, with chemicals like chemotherapy. And so that treatment would involve injecting the tumor with a bacteria. The hope is that the antibodies would then attack the tumor because it's trying to attack the bacteria. And the treatment is in its testing phase. Uh, and if all goes well and it's a successful treatment, then in 2027, uh, this treatment will be available to the general public. Well, obviously, cancer is deadly, uh, but legalism is another kind of cancer. Uh, and it's not a physical cancer, it's a spiritual cancer. Uh, legalism is a list of, of do's and don'ts. Uh, don't eat, don't drink, uh, don't touch, don't watch. Uh, it's a human set of standards uh, designed to prove our holiness. Like, if I keep this set of laws and I keep it perfectly, then I show the rest of the world that I'm really holy. But what it is in reality is it's works-based salvation and it's, it's works-based sanctification and it's, it's trying to prove outward to others how holy we are when that's not what the Lord wants from us in terms of having to prove our holiness. We don't have to prove our holiness to the Lord if we've received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And I say that legalism is a cancer because uh, like antibodies are fooled by cancer cells, uh, legalism fools us into thinking that we are healthy and holy when in fact we're not. And it's eating us alive from the inside and it ultimately kills us, uh, finally kills us because uh, we may have trusted in salvation or sanctification by works of the law instead of by grace. And unlike physical cancer, where there are several different treatment options, depending on the kind you have, uh, with spiritual legalism, spiritual cancer, uh, there's only one cure, and it's faith in Jesus Christ and leading by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, as we've seen throughout this letter, the Judaizers, they wanted to spread legalism throughout the Galatian area, throughout all these churches, and, and they were trying to impose laws and rules and rituals. And just like a healthy tumor, or like a, like a tumor destroys healthy cells, uh, these Judaizers were destroying spiritually healthy Galatians, adding works of the law and legalism to the simple gospel. 
And so in this last section of the letter of Galatians, Paul again talks about how his motivations are pure as opposed to uh, these, uh, the uh, motivations of these Judaizers who only wanted to, to count the numbers of converts that they were able to make uh, back to Judaism. So Paul is trying to keep them healthy uh, by reminding them, them of the gospel, not for his personal gain, but for the glory of God. So let's just take a look this morning about how Paul wrapped up this letter to the Galatians. Uh, the Judaizers' motivation is the first thing that Paul attacks in verses 11 through 13. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. All who want to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they want to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. So first of all, Paul used a secretary, uh, sometimes called an amanuensis, uh, to write his letters. Uh, so he almost was like giving dictation to somebody else who wrote the letters for him. Uh, maybe it's because uh, he was a Hebrew by uh, birth and maybe because Greek wasn't his first language. We don't really know. But Paul had a scribe uh, write the book of Romans. Remember, Tertius at the end of the book of Romans says, may I greet them in the Lord? Yes, greet them in the Lord. So Tertius greets the Romans in the Lord. And here uh, in Galatians, Paul has an unnamed scribe writing the letter uh, for him. But here at the end, uh, he takes up the pen himself uh, and he writes the last few verses of Galatians himself. And he says, uh, he writes in extremely large letters. Now, uh, some commentators have, have thought that maybe it's because uh, Paul's affliction, whatever it was that he was talking about uh, throughout his letters, maybe that affliction uh, somehow impeded his eyes uh, and he had to write with very large letters just to read his own writing. I mean, that's certainly possible, but, but probably what was happening is that Paul wrote in large letters for emphasis. It's as if he's saying, listen to me, in all caps, right, at the end of this letter. He doesn't want the Galatians to go back to this legalism that the Judaizers were trying to impose on them. <clears throat> so verses 12 and 13 are review. Paul stated earlier that these Judaizers were nothing but people pleasers. Uh, they didn't want to be persecuted as Paul was for preaching the gospel that Paul preached. And so they did this by emphasizing circumcision and by law keeping. Uh, and they focused on externals rather than internals, uh, what really matters, because they wanted to measure their own performance uh, and be able to claim that they were better than others by the way they performed and the way they were able to check all the boxes on their little checklist. <clears throat> but the gospel is not an external set of rules and regulations. It's not a set of do's and don'ts. Uh, it's not physical circumcision. True believers experience what is called a circumcision of the heart. And so physically, circumcision is just a cutting away of the flesh. That's what it is, right? Uh, and so circumcision of the heart, rather, is uh, figuratively cuts away uh, what is called the flesh, what Paul frequently calls the flesh, the figurative flesh that he warns against in this letter. And so that flesh that he's talking about is that sinful part of us that still demands our rights, that still uh, wants to be right and, and, and will, will uh, fight against the spirit. Uh, it wants to be served. It's never satisfied. It refuses to humble itself uh, for the good of others. And it constantly wars against the Holy Spirit to try and have its own way. And so it has to be cut away, just like a cancer. 
Now the Judaizers were very proud of themselves for the works that they had done in keeping the law and in being circumcised, but it seems as though they never experienced this circumcision of the heart that happens when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. Now, to give them some grace, uh, it had to be hard for these Judaizers after 1,500 years and countless generations of keeping the law for them to be told now that you no longer have to keep the law. That had to be hard. But that's what the gospel is, right? When we understand what the gospel is, Jesus fulfilled the law so that we no longer have to fulfill it as a means of salvation. So it's not fulfillment of the, of the law on stone. It's fulfillment of the law written on our hearts that God has given us uh, that is important for us to fulfill. So that's the circumcision of the heart that frees us from these external rules. <clears throat> these, these Judaizers were focused on externals because uh, there are measurables. You, you can measure your success if you're making a list and checking boxes. And also because the gospel message is so offensive, right? The gospel is Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead and then uh, that we don't deserve it, but yet by faith in him, we can have this promised salvation. But it's offensive because it tells us that we are not mostly good people who sometimes do something bad, right? It's just the opposite. We're mostly bad people who sometimes do something good. And so we can't satisfy God's standard of holiness uh, in anything that we do. We're not able to earn our way into heaven. Uh, and that we're not able to pay the price that God demands for sin. And so only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can circumcise our heart. Only Jesus can be holy as God demands. And only Jesus can pay the penalty that we deserve. And so that's why churches uh, that teach that baptism or keeping of sacraments or speaking in tongues for salvation or any other Jesus plus thing that you can imagine, they all are teaching heresy. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's faith in Jesus Christ alone that saves and only faith in Jesus Christ alone that saves. And anything else that we might hear is a false gospel. Now, this gospel is offensive because we don't want to be told that we're not good enough, right? Nobody wants to hear that message. That's why Paul was constantly being persecuted. We want to believe that we are good enough. We want to be able to check all these boxes on the list and say, look how good I am, uh, and compare ourselves to others and say, look how good I am, and look how bad you are, and look how much I deserve it, and look how much you don't. That's what we want to do in our sinful nature. But until we understand, recognize, acknowledge that we are not good enough and we will never be good enough, we will never receive the gospel and enter into the kingdom of God. In verse 13, Paul said, these Judaizers were hypocrites. They were trying to make people keep the law that not even they kept, right? That is the, 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 the very definition of hypocrisy. Uh, all they wanted to do was count followers, count scalps, right? And say, uh, I claimed this guy and I claimed this guy and these guys are all in my stable. I got them circumcised. That's what they wanted. But Jesus hated hypocrisy. When he was on the earth, uh, he had no problem calling people out for hypocrisy. Uh, to the legalistic Pharisees in Matthew 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, uh, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel the whole world on land and sea to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. That's as strong as you can possibly speak. <clears throat> so Jesus hated hypocrisy. And there are plenty 
of seeker-friendly churches out there. You can find them all over Dallas and anywhere else you look who are into counting scalps, right? It's all about the numbers. Uh, and they may have super cool lighting and ice machines, right? And uh, have a pastor up here, you know, super cool looking, uh, preaching in ripped jeans and a t-shirt. And, you know, that seems to attract large crowds. You know, you, you can find churches like that. Uh, they, they offer feel-good messages and, and they, they l- let you leave the building feeling better than you come in, but they don't talk about sin, uh, the problem we have and the solution to it in Jesus Christ. And so if they're not preaching Christ and him crucified, dead, buried, risen from the dead, uh, then they're hypocrites, just like the Pharisees are. Now, we'd love for more people to come to Grace Redeemer Community Church and and hear the word of the Lord, but we're certainly not going to water down the gospel message to do it. It's the Lord's job to grow the church, and uh, he'll bring the people, and they'll hear the word, and we pray that they'll be saved. Uh, But like Paul, we preach Christ crucified. And if we're persecuted for it, Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this is Jesus's warning to us. We keep preaching the word just like Paul did. And if we suffer persecution, so be it. So that was Paul's uh, Uh, warning about the motivation of these Judaizers. Now Paul in verses 14 to 16 talks about his own motivation. He says, far from it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision is anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And all who follow this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So Paul's motivation is exactly the opposite of the Judaizers. Uh, He never boasted in himself, right? He only boasted in what Jesus did through him, and that's a very big difference. So when we speak of our salvation, all glory goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who purchased it for us. All we did was believe. There's no credit in receiving a gift. We don't get any credit for that. Uh, The glory goes to the gift giver. Now, Paul understood that. Before he was saved, Paul was a man of the world, right? He was uh, as good as a man could possibly be in the eyes of his own culture. Uh, He was the most outstanding Hebrew of his generation. In Philippians 3, he said, I am the Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is found in the law, I am blameless." This was how he was measuring himself. This is how the Judaizers measured themselves. Look at all these things on Paul's checklist, right? A Hebrew of Hebrews, a nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin. These are checklists, and and Paul thought he had checked them all. But after he met the risen Christ, everything changed. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish so that I I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul used to think, that he was a pretty good guy, uh, measured up pretty well according to the law and his, his uh, heritage and everything else that Paul did. But after he met Jesus, he recognized that all that means nothing. Those are just externals. What matters is Jesus Christ. Have I received him? Uh, have I uh, accepted Jesus Christ? And do I have the Holy Spirit indwelling in me? 
And so that's what Paul meant when he said, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There's nothing in the world that holds any value, not the opinion of people, not fear of persecution, not monetary gain, not material things. All that matters is Jesus Christ. And Paul, he, he had a heart for these Galatians, but remember he also had a heart for Jews too. He was a Jew, of course, right? Uh, so he, he tried to share the good news uh, with Jews as he went about on his mission. Uh, throughout the book of Acts, we see Paul going to the Jewish synagogues first uh, before he went to uh, the Gentiles. In Romans 9, Paul said, I would gladly trade my own salvation for theirs if they would only hear the gospel, listen, and obey. Uh, so it was only when they rejected him, that's when he went to the Gentiles. So he loved these Judaizers, even though they were causing him all of this grief. But they refused to accept what Paul said in verse 15, which is that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. All that matters is a new creation. Now, just for us for today, uh, Paul is not saying, uh, parents, that we should not circumcise our children. That's not what he's saying. Uh, he's saying, don't get circumcised as a means to salvation, as though you're earning any credit with God for being uh, circumcised. Circumcision is often practiced today in our culture for cleanliness reasons, uh, and so that's why we do it. But circumcision of the flesh never made anyone holy, and it never saved anyone or made them a new creation. So what's of central importance is not circumcision or anything that we do outwardly, but what Christ has done in us. We are a new creation, and we can only be a new creation when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And that's what it means to be circumcised in our hearts. As we've been talking about the last few weeks, it's the Holy Spirit who makes salvation and sanctification possible. He draws us to himself. He regenerates our uh, hearts and, and, and converts us and indwells us, and we are a new creation when this happens. Now, we can resist sin, whereas previously we were practically powerless against it. Uh, and we can develop the fruit of the Spirit that helps us grow in our walk with God and with other people and even with ourselves. And we can live for Jesus and not to serve this written code that, that doesn't uh, save us at all. Uh, we are free to love God, we are free to love others, and we have the peace of knowing where we will spend eternity. That's what it means to be a new creation. In verse 16, Paul says, all who follow this rule. Well, what rule? Uh, we don't necessarily see a rule there. I think Paul is speaking generally about the gospel and all of its implications. Uh, the Greek word is the word canon. It means measuring rod, uh, but it later came to mean the rule of faith. So what might be included in the rule of faith? Well, certainly the gospel that Paul is preaching, right? Justification by faith and not by works. Scripture, now, everything that the apostles had written down, the cross of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, all these are included uh, in the rule of faith. And so uh, the last thing that Paul is trying to impart to them is that what's also included in this rule is living free from the law and in bondage to Christ. So all who follow this rule uh, that encompasses all of those things, well, peace and mercy be upon them. Now, it sounds like uh, it's almost like a warning, right? Peace and mercy be upon those who follow this rule, but for those who don't, on the other hand, well, probably cursing is what is going to happen to them uh, because they have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This identity of the Israel of God has caused commentators uh, to be perplexed uh, for decades, forever, I guess I should say. 
Uh, the exact phrase is not used anywhere in the New Testament. And, and many commentators think that the Israel of God refers to those Jewish Christians who received Christ and became saved uh, and were justified by faith, contrasted with these Judaizers uh, who were trying to be saved by circumcision and the works of the law. They were not part of the Israel of God. But whatever Paul meant, he was encouraging all people uh, to follow the Bible uh, and the teaching of Jesus and the apostles and reminding them that salvation is by faith and not by works. So now Paul's just got a couple more words to say, his final benediction in verses 17 and 18. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Well, the trouble that Paul was talking about was they were questioning his authority, right? That was some trouble that they caused him. And then the doctrine of justification by faith, they were questioning that. And Paul defended this gospel of his and was physically persecuted for it. He had the physical evidence all over his body to prove the trouble that he had suffered. And his readers surely would have remembered Paul's time in Galatia. It had only been a couple years back uh, where Paul, uh, where they tried to stone him in Iconium. Uh, in Lystra, they did stone him uh, and left him for dead. Uh, and, so, and that's just at the beginning of his ministry. Those things happened before Paul wrote Galatians in about 49 AD. Uh, in the years between 49 and, say, 56 or so, when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul said this uh, about the hardship he had suffered. He received the 39 lashes five times, three times beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, a day and the night in the ocean, exposed, hungry, thirsty, in fear of danger, in fear of robbers. That takes us up to the mid-50s. Paul still had another 10 years to live in which he experienced uh, unknown and immeasurable hardship uh, for the rest of his ministry before he was beheaded under Nero in the mid-60s. So Paul was no stranger to hardship, persecution, and the trouble that he's referencing here in verse 17. Uh, it, this word for marks is the, is the word stigmata. Stigmata. A stigmata is, is uh, used of branding a cattle or branding a slave uh, to show your ownership over that particular animal or slave. And so can you imagine what Paul's body must have looked like after years of this kind of treatment? The, 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 the 39 lashes five times, the rods. Can you imagine what his body must have looked like after the way he was punished physically for preaching the gospel? But he was doing God's work, and Paul was willing to accept the persecution. His physical scars proved that he was owned by Christ, that he was a slave of Christ, uh, and he was doing his work. And verse 18 is his final benediction. Uh, the entire letter has been about understanding grace. Uh, understand your grace, your freedom in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so it's fitting that Paul ends this letter with the same theme that permeates the entire letter. All right, so before we go, let's review Galatians one more time, just so we have it locked in there uh, for, uh, for our memories. Uh, so Paul and Barnabas went through the regions of Galatia. That's the upper part of the slide there. That's a little bit cut off on that screen. But that's where Galatia is. It's modern-day Asia Minor. And they were sharing the good news of justification by faith and not by works and establishing churches in Pisidian Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, and in Derbe. 
And then Paul went back to his home church in Antioch. And after he left, that's when the Judaizers came in preaching this false gospel. They were, they were Jews who claimed to be Christians, but they insisted that you must have Jesus plus keep the law and be circumcised to be saved. And they told the Galatians that their authority was better than Paul's authority. So don't listen to Paul, listen to us. Well, Paul got news of this in Antioch, and that's where he wrote Galatians from. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul established that his authority was better than the Judaizers because he received it directly from Jesus, who commissioned him to go spread the gospel uh, throughout the world. Uh, and so his authority was better than the Judaizers because the apostles gave him the right hand of fellowship. We saw that in the beginning of chapter 2. And his authority was better than the Judaizers because he was able to correct Peter when Peter uh, stopped eating with the uh, Gentiles when the people, the, the people of the circumcision came. Uh, these were Jews from James, as, as uh, Paul said. So the Judaizers had none of this authority. Paul's authority was much better uh, than the Judaizers. And now having established his authority, he says the gospel message in chapter 2, verse 16. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And then through the rest of the letter now, in chapters 3 and 4, Paul's going to defend that doctrine, justification by faith. Chapters 3 and 4 are the heart of the letter, where Paul laid out seven different proofs uh, that justification is by faith and not in keeping the law. Uh, just as a reminder, justification is that moment in time when God declares us not guilty of our sin. He gives us the Holy Spirit, and he seals us for all eternity. And God gives us this gift, not based on any works that we have done, but because we have exercised faith in Jesus Christ. We have trusted him for our salvation. So that's justification by faith. And the seven proofs of it are, uh, first, that the Galatians experienced proved the truth of the gospel. That was the beginning of chapter 3. The Galatians didn't do any work to receive Jesus Christ. They believed and they received Jesus Christ as Savior. Second, Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. Uh, so Paul's hearkening back to the Old Testament. The law didn't even exist when Abraham uh, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Third, God promised this justification by faith with a covenant long before uh, the law existed. So God's covenant to bless Abraham with land and seed and blessings was well before the law. It had nothing to do with the law, and it was an unconditional promise that God made to Abraham that the law didn't interrupt or invalidate. That covenant remained in effect. Fourth, the purpose of the law was not to save, but to condemn. The law was intended to show the people the gravity of their sin and their need for a savior and the holiness of God. It was never meant to save. Fifth, those with faith, not those who adhere to the law. These are the sons and daughters, uh, sons and heirs. It's not the physical sons and daughters of Abraham who inherit the blessings. It's the spiritual sons, those with the faith of Abraham, not those who try to earn it. Sixth, uh, the rituals of the law are futile towards salvation. And in this section, remember, Paul personally appealed to them. It was like his heart was, was bleeding, uh, feeling for these uh, Galatians. He's, he's preaching to them as a pastor, but also as a friend uh, to remember the relationship that they had when he was with them. Uh, he begged them not to reject his teaching now and return to the observance of days and weeks and months and years and all other things that are indicators uh, that they're following rituals of the law instead of grace. And the last proof is how Paul used the story of Sarah and Hagar to show that they had to cast out the law as Abraham cast out Hagar and Ishmael and be children of grace. 
So seven proofs backing up uh, the doctrine of justification by faith. And then chapters 5 and 6 are applicational. In the first half of chapter 5, Paul reminded them to walk in this freedom from the law that they now have. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. So stand firm in this freedom. Don't give yourselves back to legalism. The second half of chapter 5 is how we're to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And he laid out the specific sins of people who walk by the flesh, what they are involved in. And he says, walk by the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, you will develop the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then in chapter 6, Paul applied some of these lessons. If we have the fruit of the Spirit, if it's developing in us, well, we should restore another one, a brother or sister who has fallen, and we should bear each other's burdens. And then he finished the letter with this one last admonition, this plea not to submit to circumcision, to earn salvation. The Judaizers only cared about uh, fulfilling the law and gaining scalps for their, for their trophy case. That's what they wanted. And so they wanted to be right. They didn't care about whether they were being loving. And Paul's motives were always rooted in love for God and for the Galatians. So there we have it, the book of Galatians. Uh, let's just use the time we have left to draw out some applications uh, to, our, to our own lives. And these will reflect the entire book, lessons from the entire book of Galatians, uh, how, they, how they should affect us as, as blood-bought, not works-earned uh, children, believers in Christ. <clears throat> so the first one is this. The gospel keeps us from law-keeping. We are loved And we are accepted by Jesus because of our faith in him, not because of anything that we have done. And now that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, we just need to follow his leading. Uh, We will develop, he will develop the fruit of the Spirit in us as we uh, listen to him. And he will spur us on to love and good works, not to earn salvation, but as proof that we have it. And so Jesus bought us from the penalty of our sin and from the power of sin. But we also forget that he's freed us from the power or from the need to perform in order to earn his favor. We don't have to perform for him. He's already done the performing. All we need to do is follow the leading of the Spirit. So with that in mind, let's just ask a few applicational questions as we close. And the first is, whose authority are we trusting? You know, before Paul could ever recover the gospel message to the Galatians, he had to establish and reestablish his authority. And so the Galatians are, they're choosing between, do I listen to Paul on the one hand, or should I listen to the Judaizers on the other hand? And, And Paul expected them to believe him because his credentials were impeccable. But today there are so many false teachers out there promoting all kinds of false gospels and Jesus plus kinds of salvation in accordance with legalistic rituals, etc. And so who are we to believe? Whose authority are we to trust? Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed since Paul wrote, except for the number of voices out there, right? There's just a lot more voices out there now. The message itself has not changed. So we, as believers, as disciples, have to sift through all the noise we hear out there and test everyone and everything we hear by the gospel articulated by Jesus and in the New Testament by the apostles. And if anyone teaches another gospel, as Paul said, let him be accursed. Very strong language. Let him be accursed. The Bible is our standard and it's our measuring rod. And so we have to use God's word to test everything we hear and everything we do. Next, are we people pleasers? Could we be accused of that? People pleasers do good works so that they can look good to other people. 
The Judaizers wanted the Galatians to be circumcised so they could brag about it. I got Joe circumcised. I got Jimmy circumcised, right? This is what they cared about. And so they would wanted to brag about converting these Gentiles to Jewish customs. But Paul never sought to please anyone, at least in the sense of preaching a gospel that would make him well-liked, right? Paul was anything but well-liked. He was committed to preaching the gospel that Jesus Christ gave to him. So what about us? Uh, are we performing? Are we writing out checklists? Are we very interested in what other people think of us? Are we interested in pressing other people and, and having them say about us, oh, look how holy he or she is? Is that our motivation? Or are we motivated by glory, glorifying God? Uh, if, we, if we have the wrong attitude, we've completely lost our focus. Whatever we, should do, whatever we do should be for God's glory. And so we only need to focus on the Holy Spirit's will for our lives, not, what, not a checklist that we've made for ourselves or some checklist that somebody else has made that we think we need to follow. We don't need any of that. If we're following the Holy Spirit, we're doing what he wants us to do. And we don't need to worry about whether we're impressing anyone else. Let's just follow the Holy Spirit's will and we'll be in good shape. Next, are we too task-oriented? This one is one that I can find myself very easily convicted of. Uh, for me, Sunday is always coming, right? Sunday's always coming. You might have a holiday on Monday. It's Columbus Day. You don't have to work. I still have to preach Sunday. It doesn't extend. It doesn't make it an eight-day week. It's still seven-day week. Sunday's always coming for me. And so I need to have a sermon ready, right? No matter what's happening in my week, I have to have a sermon ready on Sunday. Uh, and so that can make me more task-oriented than people-oriented sometimes. But remember, Jesus always allowed interruptions, right? Uh, people were constantly interrupting him. Wherever he was going to, somebody would come up to him, want to be healed, you know, come heal my daughter, come heal me, I'm blind, whatever. Uh, for Jesus, the interruptions were his ministry, right? That's where the ministry gets done. And so he always set tasks aside in favor of loving people and taking care of people. Now, you and I, we're, we're busy, right? We have stuff to do. We have millions of things on our own checklist. But if we choose our checklist over people, uh, well, then we have decided that our checklist is more important than the people that Christ died for. And so we have to remember not to choose our checklist all the time. Uh, if we're the kind of people who find nothing more satisfying than writing out a list and then checking off every box next to it, and then that's a good day, well, you know, we, we've kind of lost our way a little bit. We've become slaves to our checklists. And Jesus wants to be free from checklists uh, and free to love God and to love others. And lastly, are we growing spiritually? Do we measure spiritual growth by comparing ourselves to others? Uh, that's something I think we can all fall into the trap of. Uh, do we do we measure our own spiritual growth by how well we're maintaining this checklist that I'm talking about, uh, by following a list of do's and don'ts? Uh, do we look down on others because we dress more modestly than they do, or we don't see R-rated movies, uh, we don't drink alcohol, we don't smoke, right? Uh, do we measure ourselves against others that way? That's a very legalistic way of measuring ourselves against others, and that's a very legalistic way and immature way of measuring spiritual growth. There are better ways to measure spiritual growth, and it has to do with us, not comparison, right? So uh, can we look back and see past sin struggles in our lives that, that we no longer are ensnared by anymore? If the Holy Spirit has helped us defeat some old sin struggle, that's spiritual growth. That's a real victory. Uh, do we have more peace 
Are we less upset about all the crazy chaos that's going on in the world? Because we know that our citizenship is in heaven and that we're just passing through here and there's nothing anybody can do to touch us. They can kill our bodies, but our souls are going to heaven and nothing can stop that because we are blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ. So do we have that peace or does the world get us crazy with all that's going on? Is the fruit of the Spirit developing in our lives? How are we doing with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Are those things developing in us? We ought to be able to look back over time and point to specific growth in each of these areas. Legalism is always going to result in comparison, competition, and then condemnation. That's the natural progression of legalism. There's no grace. There's no mercy in it. There's only rules and judgment. So legalism is like a cancer that can ruin our lives and ultimately kills us. When a cancer patient successfully finishes their treatments, their doctor may say, we see no evidence of disease. And that's a joyful day. Uh, Molly and I have experienced that, and, and there's nothing better than that. Nobody, whoever heard those words, would, 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 would uh, successfully complete cancer treatments and then say, can I have some more chemo or radiation, please? I really enjoyed that, right? Nobody would ever say that. So why do we treat spiritual health any differently? When we are spiritually healthy, uh, there should be no evidence of the disease of legalism in us anywhere. No one has, who has received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior should ever go back, uh, reject grace and mercy, and say, no, I'd rather be enslaved to my checklist, to some legal, legalistic works-based form of salvation. So Jesus died to fulfill the law. So don't go back to legalism. This entire book has been about our liberty in Jesus Christ. May we seize it. May we protect it. May we guard it. And may we live in it. That's the book of Galatians. Amen, brothers and sisters. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for this amazing book. Uh, Lord, I pray that we will take these lessons to heart. I pray that we will not be enslaved to anything, Lord, except the debt we have, as Roman says, to continue to love each other and to love Christ. Lord, we thank you for this study. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, the blessing that you've provided through it. I pray that our hearts are truly changed. We thank you for these things in Christ Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.